Okay. <clears throat> let's uh, let's get started. Okay, let's, uh, let's open with prayer, and, uh, and then we'll uh, tell you what the plan is. Lord God, uh, we're, uh, uh, we're thankful that you've gathered us together. We're thankful for you. We praise all your purposes in building your church, um, not only building the strength of it, but bringing in more and more uh, of the of the unsaved, so that they can be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of your dear Son. We're keenly aware that. We stand before you in all things. Uh, how we conduct our lives, how we conduct our relationships, how we handle your, your scriptures, we're accountable to you. And we're also aware that we're kept uh, in the palm of Jesus' hand. So we acknowledge all these things. We ask your help in this uh, time we have together in your doctrines, in your scriptures. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, first of all, uh, just to tell you where we're headed, because uh, that's one of the problems I've had, is just kind of keeping, keep, keeping some sense of order to this, uh, something about this chapter, I, I spent almost all my time just trying to get some kind of linear <laughs> progression uh, through the whole thing, uh, sort of like First John <laughs> is to me sometimes, uh, or one of the other letters, uh, uh, the, this chapter in the, in the book had a similar issue with me. Um, so the plan is uh, we're going to do a bit of review and overview of where we're co we've come to and the plan of the book um, this is the last session I think, right Blake? we're not going to have a follow up okay um, and then I want to look at this chapter um, and first of all try to orient our minds because because it's uh, because it's too it seems more most relevant on the surface at least to what we think of as missionaries in the ordinary sense someone who either is a full-time missionary or whose primary purpose like John and and uh uh, John Wilkes and his wife and his family, uh, 
uh, the, the, he's, he's full-time engineer, but he's, his primary purpose is, is missions. Uh, so it's oriented toward that, but uh, I want to look at the relevance of that to us because we're not that. <laughs> okay. Uh, now, uh, probably what should spring to your mind right away is that uh, we're, we're all called to go. Uh, according to the Great Commission, to go. Uh, it may be to go to our children. It may be to go to our neighbor. It may be to pull up our family and go across halfway across the world, but we're all called to go at some level. Or, so I want to make sure we, we kind of orient ourselves to the relevance of it to us. And that will be something we do at the start, but you'll notice as we go through, you'll see points of relevance to, to all of us. Kind of surprising, actually, to me. Uh, after that, I want to look at the missionary and, and conscience issues, which is the topic of the book. But most of all, I want to spend as much time as possible in the scriptures, uh, the, especially the scriptures that they put forward and the kind of the historical context of those scriptures and such. And then have a, a Q&A. Uh, afterwards. Um, so with that said, let's do a bit of overview. Better get rid of this. It's going to go on the floor. And Marty will be upset with me. Okay, so first of all, uh, okay, this worked well ago. There we go. Uh, the the book, if you just looked at the chapters, it's, it's pretty orderly uh, in three sections, two chapters a piece, a piece what's con- what is conscience, how to train our own conscience, uh, loving those who differ in conscience. And so it's, it's definitions, it's interior looking at ourself, and exterior looking at our relationships. Um, last week... Uh, the chapter five, how should you relate to fellow Christians when your consciences disagree? Maybe that word when should be given <laughs> that <laughs> your consciences disagree. Uh, and I hope we'll see uh, the relevance of that in a moment. This week, how should, re- should you relate to people in other cultures when your consciences disagree? Uh, another point of um, review, their basic definition of conscience is that your conscience is your consciousness or awareness of what you believe is right and wrong. You kind of lodge that definition in your mind. I think it's a pretty good one overall. Uh, and by the way... <laughs> If you, if you look at the etymology of these two words, conscience and consciousness, ba- they basically have the same etymology. But we, we've come up with two different words, and they do mean two different things. Awareness, basically, and this internal thing, uh, knowledge <clears throat> and of what's right and wrong. And it's belief, okay? It's not just knowledge, it's belief. So our beliefs kind of compel us on. Now, we can suppress that, of course, uh, 
but we're, it, it's a trick to suppress your, your, your beliefs. They're, they're quite compelling. Okay, so uh, another point of um, review. Um, this has been, like I, I found it in chapter one, so it's been there all along. This principle, always a bigger conscience. Okay? Now, um, if you're like me, I know, I mean, I'm not going to say this out loud because (laughs) if I always obey my conscience, my conscience might be wrong, okay? So I've had that kind of sticking all all along um, in in my mind, and I think some of you have too, um, because I know know at some level I know myself, and, and I know that I need, like, uh, a few chapters ago, we talked about calibrating our conscience, growing, changing, etc. <clears throat> um, Blake suggested an alternate way of saying this that I think is pretty helpful. Um, hello, computer. There we go. It's roughly equivalent to this statement. <clears throat> Always do what you believe to be right. Okay, now, you'll notice that that's... <clears throat> That's at a point in time. Uh, it's, there, there's more to this, okay? There's a prog- progress, and what you believe to be right progresses as a Christian. That's what's happening to you in the process of sanctification. But at a point in time, do what you believe to be right. Um, <clears throat> now, a, a, another point of, of sanctification process is that we're becoming hopefully more and more sensitive to to the to what's going on when I when I'm encounter you know I encounter something I kind of have a, a tendency to to push certain beliefs aside and and uh, and so I've got to be sensitive to me doing that and bring them back and to say oh this is right you know and I go off on that track when really I, I need to calibrate. Okay, but in a, as a general principle, always do what you believe to be right. Um, now, to go along with that, if we're going to do that, if it, at any point in time we're going to try to do what we believe to be right, what are the, some of the things that, that must go along with that, that have to go along with that? Let's just talk about that for a minute. Uh, some of the things you've learned in this Sunday school, some of the things that, that I mean, you know, if, we, if we're going to do what we know to be right all the time, what are the things that have to go along with that? The, the disciplines, the um, uh, intentional things that have to go along with that. Okay, we need to learn. We need to learn. I think to, to learn to consciously say no, and yes. I I, I agree with that. Um, Colosh, uh, see, Titus two. Towards the end of the chapter, says something like that. Okay, you can find it there. What else? Okay. 
And what's that? The Word of God. The Word of God. Right. Okay. Rob? Okay, now that's a good point. Um, if I understood what you said, if I didn't, if my telling it back to you doesn't catch it, let me know. But um, I hope, I hope, uh, and I pray because I love you all <laughs> that you've had the experience and you continue to have the experience as you go through life of being brought up short on like a doctrinal issue. You've, you've kind of understood some things a certain way all your life, and then all of a sudden you realize because uh, you open the scriptures, someone opens the scriptures to you, and you realize you've been off target on that thing, and so you change it. You change your, you, you know, you process through it, and you think, okay, I was wrong. I'll change. I'll change my belief in this. Um, so that can be easy sometimes. It can be really difficult sometimes. The same way in what we believe is right and wrong, you know. Um, this book <laughs> has caused me to look at things that I hold a huge moral value on, okay? And, and things that I kind of push to the side of my, my moral categories. And, uh, and I've found that I don't necessarily need to lower those, but I need to adjust them to more carefully fit what Scripture says. Okay? Uh, and then I, I may need to bring in things, you know, uh, um, uh, beliefs of right and wrong that... Uh, that haven't had as much influence on me as they should have, okay? Now, did I catch what you were saying a little bit there? Yeah, I'm just focusing on the word belief. Yeah. You're not, doing, you're not always doing what is right. You're doing what you believe, right? So you're, you're moving forward with the path that you know that yes. you're going to be right. Right, right. There's all kinds of vagaries that go on inside of us, and we, we <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's right. Okay, anything else before we go on? Okay, uh, here, was, uh, here was my list, and they, it kind of lines up. The ministry of God's word in each of us, okay? Now, let me get right to the point here. <laughs> if, if, if we're going to learn to think God's thoughts after him, then this has to be a huge influence in our life. We have to hear it preached. We have to uh, think about what's preached and taught to us. We have to uh, uh, study it. We, you know, we have to, something I, I have a habit of doing, and Roxanne's kind enough to help me with this, not, not do it, but... Um, if I come across a difficult thing to understand in Scripture, I have kind of a tendency to just kind of make some huge assumption and then blow past it, okay, because I don't want to struggle with it. Well, I need to not do that. I need to look at that and grapple with it and let it grapple with me. Let the Word of God 
grapple with me. Um, I have a little note in our men's Bible study guide. It says, uh, be aware that as you open uh, this, uh, how do I put it, open the scriptures and examine them, that the Holy Spirit is opening you and examining you, okay? That's what has to happen. So uh, anything that can bring us closer to thinking God's thoughts after them in this area, we really need to pay attention to. It may be uh, uh, read daily reading, uh, uh, study, uh, memorization, meditation, grappling with the application issues of what you study, okay? Which is really, really difficult for me. Um, okay. Prayer is a part of, of this. We, we need to, to pray about our lives, our beliefs, our actions. Repentance will be part of it, okay? A life of repentance. Uh, returning to the forgiveness that we have in Christ, just bringing ourselves back to that all the time. Um, the sanctifying work of the Spirit, which, which in Romans 8 goes along with us uh, putting to death the deeds of the body uh, by the Spirit. Okay? Kind of a lifelong, all of these are lifelong things. Okay? They're life things and lifelong things. Uh, we, we need wisdom, okay? And Christ is our wisdom. We look to Him. And of course, well, looks like I <laughs> kind of goofed up some things here. Uh, conformity to Christ, that's the process of sanctification. And then we need the fellowship of believers. Okay. Okay, chapter six. That was the review. <laughs> Twenty whole minutes. Okay. Uh, how should you relate to people in other cultures when your consciences disagree? Okay. Um, what kind of things make you different than the next person? I'm here in this first part. I'm trying to bring home the relevance of this to us. So what kind of things make you different than the next person? And I, I need help with it. I mean, I have my own list. I'll show it to you, but it's from, from my point of view and a man's point of view, so I need help with that. Okay, and, and when you say that, what are the geographic things you have in mind? Okay. Yeah, right. Okay. Right. Okay. D different parents and upbringing, different origin. There, there's that too. I hope nobody asked me anything about that. <laughs> uh, but I, I will say. <laughs> Remember that it's our fallen DNA, okay? Uh, our DNA was affected, too. 
that, that's not the only thing, okay, that, that's an influence, but I don't think we should slight that. David? Our generation, generational differences. I, I'd add to that just age differences, because <laughs> if you go back, you read back through uh, uh, historical documents and, and even the, the the Bible, you'll you'll see that the age differences, like parent and parent and child uh, things, <laughs> have been an issue perennially. Okay, so there's generational differences and age differences. Um, you could nurture nature. Um, uh, I, I tentatively accept that. I, I think I tentatively accept that as. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Yeah, I think there's more things going on, but nurture nature is a big, like a big rough uh, categorization, I think, of that. So, anything else? Uh-huh. Right. 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 Is is the uh, teenage Blake going to have cultural differences with the 30-year-old Blake and et cetera? I'm, I'm not going to say where you're at in that. But, but I think that that's true, yeah. I mean, um, okay, here, here's my list. Uh, uh, income and wealth. Generational ethnicity, okay, uh, origins, um, and everything you went through to get to where you're at today. Uh, work is a huge difference. Um, uh, an office worker versus a, a manual laborer, that kind of thing. Where we live, uh, and I'll show in a moment that kind of geographically where that uh, fits. The worldview uh, can be very different. Okay. Uh, religious beliefs uh, and just general beliefs. Uh, all these things, of course, kind of merge and have have gray uh, dividing lines. Mores, uh, things that we grew up with, things that we've acquired, and, and there's there's probably others. Um, Imagine, I wasn't smart enough to do this in PowerPoint, but imagine this is a scale, okay, with the individual Christian over here and uh, um, a foreign country over on the other side, okay? So um, there are differences even, say, between the Christian and and their spouse, okay, and and their children. (laughs) You're probably aware of the differences. Um, And neighbors, someone just down the street. 
Uh, you'll find those differences in your church, your own, your own body. Uh, there, there, be, there might be a difference between um, the neighborhood you're in and the neighborhood next to you, okay? You've, you, you can see that. I can see that. I mean, just, just across the street, the, the house, uh, the, the housing changes, okay? And, and the people who can afford that, of course, there's going to be differences there. Across town, we, we used to call it on, uh, the other side of the tracks, Okay, uh, that's not quite as uh, apt today, but we're aware of across town. Uh, the difference between city and rural. rural. Um, the difference between Dallas and Amarillo and Hereford. Okay, uh, there, there's all kinds of differences. Traffic, the work that people do, the occupation of the town, that kind of thing. In North and South Texas, beachfront, cattle country, okay? Uh, southern and Northern United States, okay? Uh, which is, is becoming a little more uh, squishy these days, but there you go. Um, East Coast, West Coast, Mid-America, those kind of differences, which again kind of become squishy. Uh, the uh, U.S. and Canada, maybe not so much different as far as cultural differences, but maybe so, okay. Uh, Mexico, um, a far country, a far foreign country, somewhere in Africa or in Asia or somewhere. Uh, the differences between Europe and Asia and Africa, and I would say South America too. I mean, I, I look at the, how my company, it's divided up. And it's divided up kind of like this, you know. But we bring all kinds of things from historical things, developments. Okay, one of them is enlightenment and pre-enlightenment cultures. Okay. Uh, think, think of the, and I don't have time to go into this in great detail, but as an exercise sometime, think about as, as as an American, uh, all the things you hold uh, to be um, of very high value. In fact, things that you think to, uh, um, um, I'm sorry, result in human flourishing, okay? The rule of law, for instance, okay? That's an enlightenment idea, okay? Now, I don't mean to, that is a pejorative, <laughs> okay? But it is an enlightenment idea because up until then, it was kings. And you'll remember that it's kings that God put in place. He also puts constitutions in place, by the way, <laughs> and the rule of law. But there are other cultures that those are down on a lower scale, Okay? And I think that kind of thing, that kind of difference, is going to be huge in not not too distant future. Okay, so I, that that's a difference. I just wanted to throw that in there. Okay, now keep that that scale, if you will, in mind. Uh, there's differences that have to be worked through. You have to think about them. Um, See if, how biblical your own values are, how to 
how to uh, speak into the differences of uh, the person next to you down the street, etc. Okay, that's that's the relevance to us. It's not it's not us as a non-missionary and the missionary. There's a scale. Is what is what I mean. Okay, what I'm pointing to uh, from the book. Um, this was back, I can't remember what chapter it was, page 84, the complexity of conscience-related problems, well, it's chapter 5. Uh, conscience-related problems rises exponentially when you move from an individual to a group of people, and so do the stakes, okay? Um, and then, at the start of this chapter, if conscience issues are so complex within your own culture, within your own church... Can you imagine how complicated things get when you cross cultures? Okay. Uh, he tells a story right away. In fact, he, he titles this section of the chapter, uh, Do They Even Have a Conscience? <laughs> he's thinking as a missionary of somebody in the culture he's been sent into. And it revolves around his mango tree. Okay, he planted a mango tree. And after three years, four years, uh, when they normally start bearing a little fruit, it started bearing fruit. There were three mangoes on his tree. He only had one in this one. Uh, and he can have the mangoes. I, mean, I don't care. I've had them before, and I, they don't mean anything to me. But he was very uh, encouraged by his three mangoes. He wanted to let them you know, ripen out properly and, and eat them. Well... He gets a, a, a neighbor to help him work on something in his, around his house. And he, he leaves for a few minutes. When he comes back, this neighbor, this local, has eaten all the mangoes, three of them. Okay? What kicks in as his, as his Western conscience? Don't pick fruit that belongs to somebody else. Okay? Uh, I think if I went down to to Southern California and walked, drove past a, uh, an orchard there, I'd see a fence around it, okay? They don't want people doing that, even a little bit. Um, okay, so that's what causes him to say, does he even have a conscience? His conscience is seared. I think he's exaggerating a little bit, his uh, relating this, but that's what goes through emotionally. I mean, you can... I've seen it happen to me, you know. There's kind of an emotional rush. That's wrong, you know. <laughs> he oughtn't do that. Local conscience is don't be stingy with your food. That's a value that they have pretty high because food is a, is a uh, scarce thing and, uh, and, it, uh, and it should be shared, okay, to, to a certain degree. They can't go through harvesting, you know, but they can pick a fruit here and there. Okay, notice both cultures have strong moral codes regarding the issues involved, uh, regarding theft <laughs> and personal property, okay, and generosity. But the difference is in the details, okay, um, and, and you, you can kind of see that here. Um, what can give rise to the conflict. 
So he, he said he had to calibrate his consciousness. Conscience. I'm sorry, his conscience. He added stinginess to neighbors to his list of serious wrongs. He had to make a category for that. He had to calibrate his uh, conscience concerning personal property rights. We have some pretty strong personal property rights. We build fences, you know, uh, privacy fences and things like that. Um, and, I, you know, I've seen that. I've seen my sense of my property rights kind of get in the way of relationships, even, even in my own neighborhood. Actually, it was, in, it was in the last neighborhood I, I was in. You know, when a kid climbs up in a tree and starts tearing things up in the tree, tearing things off the tree, you know, um, that kind of thing. That's an admission, a confession, if you will, by the way, <laughs> in case that didn't, you didn't catch that. Three dangers, he points out. Preaching against sins that aren't sins in any culture, okay? That is, uh, we've learned all along through here, especially in chapter 3 and 4, how to to list out our values, look at the Bible, and check. Check our values against the Bible, okay? And we, we don't have to abandon our values, but we, in all cases, in some cases we may have to, but, but we have to put them in their proper place, okay, as vis-a-vis the scriptures, okay? Um, one way I, I think about it is that you have the command of scripture, and you have the, way, the ways that we either obey that command or perhaps disobey it. And uh, they can differ from person to person, culture to culture. Now, notice uh, pre- preaching against sins that aren't sins in any culture, uh, the conscience of the hearer preaching, you're preaching to them, they won't affirm the message because they don't value that. As, they don't see that as a sin or as a predominant sin. And so their conscience remains silent, okay? Now, they say in the book, if if you can kind of, by the sheer force of your Western personality, kind of force locals into adopting something, then what what results is that you have another group of Christians with overburdened consciences, okay? And they're also ripe because they've been adopting these little things that aren't scriptural, they may adopt some big error, okay? Meanwhile, uh, kind of living in the era of legalism, perhaps, okay? Now, this one, I I didn't struggle long enough with the second danger, Um, but you can kind of see how how it might relate to the first one preaching against what are sins in our own culture, but the locals don't consider sins because we define the details differently of what's, what command is broken, how it's broken, that kind of thing. Uh, third danger, not being careful to value, value the virtues 
of the local people's conscience. Um, again, we're kind of, you, you, you observe, you learn what they value, and you sort. Just like you hopefully have been doing for your own list of values, you've been sorting, you know, what's really solidly biblical, what's kind of a second-tier thing, and what's a third-tier thing. Uh, if we break culture, and you, and you do that for their culture, you know, you kind of see what the points are, uh, what their, vir- their values are, whether they're biblical or not. If we break cultural values embraced as important by the locals, we'll be seen as immoral in some cases, extreme cases. And, and we and our message will be looked down on. Okay? Now, we don't... I mean, just to be clear, we, we work at this, missionaries work at this, we'll work at it, we won't get it perfect, it is a process, okay, but it's an aim. Two principles that I thought were helpful, um, because God created us in his image, we can expect all cultures to have some, I should have put in there, good wholesome values and traditions that we can wholeheartedly affirm and learn from, okay, by, by looking at their values and checking them out. But because humans are also fallen, we can expect all cu- cultures to have some values and traditions that displease God, and some of them seriously displease God, you know, okay, uh, and I still hold, like I said, I think in my previous session, I still hold to uh, what it says in Psalm 2, that, that uh, human cultures have a tendency to organize in their rebellion against God. And so you have to remember where you're at. You know, we're, we're, we're not of the world, Okay. And he had a couple of recommendations. Um, actually, he got these from a, a, a missiologist. Um, he quotes in the book, for, missionary, for a missionary to reach peoples in other cultures, uh, they, seek to, they should seek to live an exemplary life in terms of the virtues and norms ex- stressed by the people they're attempting to reach within reason, within, within biblical parameters, Okay. Um, and then in their teaching, in their preaching, their evangelism, stress sin, guilt, and repentance principally with reference to the native conscience, particularly that aspect of their conscience that's in, in agreement with Scripture. Okay? That's his recommendations for that. Um, now, the scriptures. We have 20 minutes. Um, what I'd like to do is um, yeah, get, please get your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians 9. If you want uh, to follow along, it'll be 8, 9, 10. <laughs> but we won't look at the details of all of those. Just these verses right here, 9, 19 to 23. Um, um, let's see, let me get there. To, well, 
I've got this. Um, first of all, let me just point out, I mean, some of this takes some thinking to, to get, to understand the point that he's driving at in these verses, 1923. One of the things we need to look at is the whole con, uh, con, uh, context. Uh, so going back to chapter 8, I'm just going to kind of breeze through these, but you can, you can look down through this and see some of this. Um, the first point of context is uh, he, he is talking to Christians uh, about their relationships with Christians and the precedence of, of uh, love over knowledge, the priority of, of uh, love over knowledge. And if you get into the details of it, what you really find is that there's, there's uh, actually the precedence of one knowledge over another knowledge. You know, it's not like... It's not like he's saying love that's not anchored in knowledge over knowledge. It's, it's one doctrine over another doctrine that has higher precedent. Uh, he's also trying to get them to look at what they really are aiming at in their relationships and holding up one, one uh, uh, value over another. Uh, if you go down to, in fact, in verse 8, 8, 11, so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. That's very strong language. Uh, we've looked at some of that in chapter 5. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, he begins to talk about his own self, what he's given up, Okay. The example of Paul himself, uh, the precedence of the gospel over Paul's Christian rights, rights as a Christian, and rights as an apostle. That's the example he, he puts out in the church. Um, partway through, about verse 12 or so, uh, you begin to see uh, another point of context. He's motivated by the precedence of the gospel. He says in verse 12, Nevertheless, we've not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Okay? That's what he wants. That's his lodestar, if you will, is the gospel. Um, if you go on past our passage to... Uh, Verse 24, what you'll see is Paul's self-discipline. He starts talking about self-discipline. Uh, and, and it's kind of generic. It's self-control and self-discipline in different areas. But he has in mind what he's just talked about in 1923. And we'll look, look at that in a minute. And it results in a principle, if you will. Uh, if you go on down into chapter 10... The topic of idolatry is a very real danger to his readers, his Christian readers. Okay, If you get on down to verse uh, tw- 27, he's, he's also talking about unbelievers, Okay, your relationship with unbelievers. Um, uh, and so then he summarizes it in 31. This is chapter 10, verse 31, 32, 33. 
So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That, I mean, that's your aim. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks. I, I take this to be a kind of categories of unbelievers. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God. So you've got to be careful in these areas to not give undue offense to people. Okay? Just as I try to please everyone in everything, I do, not seeking my own advantage. Okay, that's the, that's the key thing, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. So he's got these lodestars, the gospel and the lost. Now go back to chapter 9, verse 19. Let me just read through this. Get it in front of you and think about it as we read through it. For though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all. Now we stop right there. (laughs) We take freedom very seriously, don't we? And we take servitude uh, very seriously. Think something to avoid. I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. What's his motivation? It's winning, yeah, by means of the gospel. We will see that at the end here. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of God. Of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them, those he wins, in its blessings. Now, you really have to remember who we're talking about here. Um, This is the most unlikely person, Paul. The Pharisee of Pharisees. Okay? Think about that for a minute. Think about what he he had to go through to calibrate his conscience. Okay? Um, We we read these letters in the book of Acts, the letters of Paul, and, and... it's, it's sometimes difficult to see the process, okay? But he's human. He went through the process of sanctification just like we do. Uh, but he's chosen by God to go to the Gentiles, okay? Uh, you know, let, me, let me read that. Uh, in Galatians 1, he puts it this way. Um, one sixteen. But when he who had set me apart before I was born. Okay, so that was before he was born, and he he had a whole life uh, of living as a Pharisee. God let him do that. Uh, And he, uh, let's see, when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, 
was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. That's where he's headed, that God's headed him toward the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone in Jerusalem, etc. Okay? Because he had a revelation from Christ himself. Acts um, 9, 15. And we'll see this more and more. But in here, uh, Ananias, uh, Jesus is speaking to Ananias about going to Paul and... Uh, and he's balking at this. He says, this is the man who's been running around killing Christians, okay? Um, okay, Romans won't do. Acts 9, 15. Um, but the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, too. Okay, so we see both of those things, but primarily toward the Gentiles. Um, so look at that passage again, 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23. What we see in there is his motivations. He's motivated by the I mean, the lost have a precedence in his mind over his own rights. Okay? Even his own rights as a Christian, his own spiritual rights. He's free to partake or not. Okay? It's interesting to see how he uses that right then. Okay? Uh, So that's a precedent. And you look there, that I might win the more. In order to win Jews, that I might win those under the law, that I might win those outside the law, that I might win the weak, that by all means I might save some. And then is the last verse, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share <clears throat> with them in its blessings. Okay? Now, this results, if he, he goes on to talk about his self-control, his self-discipline. This results in a pr- principle that the author summarized this way. Christian liberty is the freedom to discipline yourself to be flexible for the gospel. Christian liberty is the freedom... Uh, in fact, I've got it right here. The freedom to discipline yourself to be flexible for the gospel. Okay. Um, okay, so where did it go? There it is. Another kind of a, I thought was a pretty interesting point. They started to develop in the book, but didn't, I mean... Something about the way they expressed it kicked off some of these thoughts in my mind. The church as a training ground for missions. Now, I would also expand that to a launching. It's a training ground. It's a launching pad. And I think it's an incubator. Okay? Because it's in the church that it happens. So this, this right here really brings home the relevance of this topic to us, I think. <clears throat> um, first of all, notice that the, 
notice the movement of the history of the church that we find in Acts. What was the first big kind of turmoil in the church? The widows and the distribution. The, the, the Gentiles uh, <clears throat> felt like that their, their widows weren't getting <clears throat> their fair, the, a share, you know, a fair share. Um, the, the church <laughs> did a very interesting thing. They uh, recruited seven Gentiles as deacons. You can go back and look at the list of names. Okay, they're, they're Gentile names. They recruited these deacons to, <clears throat> to make the process fair. Okay, that, that blows me away, you know. It's like in our modern America, we might think, uh, <clears throat> oh, we'll, we'll, get a, we'll do a survey of the congregation, see kind of what kind of um, uh, groups there are in the congregation, and we'll pick a representative from me. It's representative democracy. That's not what happened in the church. They picked seven Gentiles to oversee this. Okay? Another thing, well, then we go on from there. What's the next big uh, issue? Okay? It's Peter, and, and he's had to have a wake-up call from God about food, about how his, his, what his conscience is telling him the Lord said three times, eat, take and eat. Peter's response, I've never done that. Why are you asking me to do that? It's against the law. <laughs> okay? And, and then the Lord says, what God's made uh, holy, don't, don't call that unholy. Okay? Um, so we have that. And he takes that to the church, and wow, there's a big discussion there, too, okay? Uh, what's the next big thing? It's the first church council and the issue of circumcision, okay? Um, which is a really, a really big thing, and it's a watershed. It, you know, it's, it's, what, it's, kind of, it's one of the, the, the things that lets the gospel to go out, okay? Um, Uh, also, I mean, we've just seen it. Notice the connection Paul's makes in 1 Corinthians 8 to 11, and I would say 14, uh, 12, 13, 14 all as well. The messiness of church life, A, is connected with, uh, well, the messiness of church life with those who, whose consciences differ with the mission to the unreached. Uh, Paul kind of, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians kind of lets these things to run together. And, and, and that's why he, the authors call this the church a training ground for missions, okay? Um, and by the way, you know, this, the scale we had, okay? This leads into the next, the last look at Scripture. Where's Christ on this scale, Okay, think about that for a moment. Um, whichever end of the scale you think of it is, he's, you know, he's infinitely out there somewhere, you know, okay? He's, uh, he's quite other. He's, he's God, okay? But let's look at what happens here. 
And I, I've got these backwards, but look, let's look at a familiar passage in uh, Philippians 2. Um, in Philippians 2, he's urging them to, uh, in their relationships in the church, uh, how, to, how to relate to one another in love, in humility. Verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So Christ, uh, Christ is an example here his life, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. Okay? He, he, he didn't think, I have to hold on to this thing at all costs. <laughs> okay, it wasn't to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, what could be, what could be more, uh, what could he do more to identify with us? You know, these are very, uh, these things are very human across all cultures, Okay. The, the, the culture of the Trinity is hugely different than the culture of fallen humanity. And he came into that, and he experienced everything that we experience, even death on the cross, you know. Uh, we experience death. For most of us, it's not death on a cross, but uh, it's death. It's uh, and humility of various forms. Okay. Romans 15. Let's look at that. Um, again, here, here he's, Romans 15, 14 and 15. He's actually, it, it, it has a context of speaking into the church and our relationships with other believers. Uh, they make the case, though, that in 8 and 9, 14, I'm sorry, chapter 15, verses 8 and 9, that, um, that the, the example for how we relate to one another in the church is what we just read about in Philippians 2, Christ, Christ coming from his Trinitarian culture to our fallen human culture, Okay. Verse 8 and 9, chapter 15, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And he, he goes on then to, to review some scriptures that have to do with the Gentiles. But you'll notice where he starts. Uh, to show God's truthfulness, he uh, grammatically, that's a kind of a prepositional phrase that, that results in the second two things. Uh, but they treat him individually in the book. Um, 
So he, he, he became a servant to the circumcised. Okay, now you can read in the Gospels how this worked out. He, uh, you'll see at, at points in Jesus' life, people wanting to go to, to some Gentiles. But he kind of draws a line. It's a, it's a fuzzy line because he does interact with Gentiles. You can see that. But his mission is to, the, to Israel. So that's the, point, the first part of that. Um, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarch, the, the, the guiding promise to the patriarchs was uh, found in various places in Genesis, uh, but it's, uh, one of the promises was he's going to make uh, Israel a blessing to the, to the nations. Okay? Paul sees that. That's kind of a guiding star for him. Um, you can see that in Genesis 12, 2 and 3. Um, and then, in order that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. Let's look at Acts 13. I know we're running out of time, but well, we've run out of time. Let's look at Acts 13 for a moment. Um, verses 44. And this is... Re- this theme that we find here is also repeated in other places, like chapter 18. Um, So he's, uh, I don't even know where he's at, I should have checked that, but at any rate, uh, he's in a Gentile area. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout Converts to Judaism followed, this is 42, I'm sorry, followed uh, Paul and Barnabas, who as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, 44, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. What are you jealous over? Okay, culturally or in your values, okay? Okay. and begin to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, Israel, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, Paul isn't saying he's made me, Paul, a light to the Gentiles. That verse is to Israel. He's made Israel a light to the Gentiles. Okay, but Paul says, I'm going to fulfill that. I'm going to follow that, whatever you follow. Now, the result in 48, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of God and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And then the word of the Lord was spreading through the whole regions. Okay? Now, that rejoicing of the Gentiles is, is what's described in uh, Rome, following Romans 15, 7 to 8. It's the praise that's due to God. Okay? Um, and I'm thankful for that. Are you thankful as a Gentile? I don't see any Jews here. I don't know you very well, but okay. I'm thankful for that. Uh, 
that God did this. He picked, you pick one unlikely guy to, to be commandeered <laughs> by the Holy Spirit and by the Lord Jesus and send him out. And it just blew up. Okay, we're over time. I apologize. There you go. You're done. If you have any questions, you can ask me or comments. Yeah, okay, well.